0: Episode 56, Rebellion in the Desert The Israelites had finally gotten themselves to the border of the Promised Land, and they even sent spies into the land to check the best routes. However, they were not allowed to enter the land. Instead, they were sent right back in the direction from which they came. This would begin the wandering in the wilderness for a total of 40 years. Welcome to the History of the Bible. In the last episode, we introduced the remaining tribes and nations within the land of Canaan. Now, we will come across other nations that don't really live inside the land of Canaan, but along its borders. When these nations come up, we'll introduce them in the same way as the other nations were. So, now what? The Israelites made it to the promised land. Twelve men were sent into the land and they found the soil to be rich and the produce to be abundant. Yet, they didn't want to go take the land because of the bad report that ten of those twelve men brought back. So the people rebelled against Moses, nearly coming to stone the man for bringing them to the promised land. They would rather have gone back to Egypt to be, once again, slaves with good food and the knowledge of what would come rather than be free in a land that they did not know what was going to happen. But that would mean that they would have to trust the Lord, which they didn't. They didn't believe that they would be able to conquer the nations within the land of Canaan. So what does the Lord do? He sent them right back to the wilderness to prepare the next generation to take hold of the promised land that was promised to their forefathers and their parents. It was only then that the Israelites realized what they did or didn't do. The Israelites realized that they had sinned against the Lord by not trusting him. So when they were told that they would be going back into the wilderness until, well, they all died, the people mourned greatly. The people didn't stop there, though. They decided, even though the Lord told them that he would not be allowing them to go into the promised land, the Israelites the next morning got ready for battle. From the Negev, the Israelites were planning on attacking somewhere in the Hebron hills. But Moses tried to warn them to not go up, because the Lord was no longer with them to take the land, but instead to wander in the wilderness. Moses clearly told them they would be defeated if they went to battle. Again, the Israelites had no desire to listen to Moses, so they went out to battle. When the Israelites were coming up to the Hebron Hills, the Amalekites and the Canaanites came down to meet them in battle. The Israelites were routed. They were beaten so badly in battle that they turned and ran back to camp. You would think by now, When the Lord says something, he really means it. That wasn't the end of the story for the Israelites. In Numbers chapter 15, right after being beaten by the Amalekites and the Canaanites, the Lord told Moses to talk to the people. Moses is to tell the people that when, not if, when they come into the promised land, the Lord would have new sacrificial laws for them. So, right after being beaten in battle, most likely, the Israelites are trying to figure out if the promised land was really for them. The Lord would come in with a reminder in Numbers 15 verse 2, when you come into the land that you are to inhabit, which the Lord is giving you. The Lord still reminds them that the promise to one day have the land of Canaan was still a real promise. It just needed to be when the Lord gives it to them, not when they try to take it in their own strength. With that, they were sent right back in the direction from which they came. During the time of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, well, it has very few details recorded. There are incidents that occurred during the time in the wilderness, which we will discuss, but other than that, not much other detail is given. Really, there wasn't much reason to give too much detail during this time period. It was simply a time of waiting. Waiting for everyone over the age of 20 years to die. Day to day, the Israelites were still gathering the manna that the Lord provided. Doing much of the same things that they did before they got to the promised land. They were still being led by the Lord with a cloud and pillar of fire. When they stayed at a place, the Levites would set up the tabernacle. and daily sacrifice would happen. Otherwise, nothing changed day to day from before the Israelites arrived at the border of the promised land and after they refused to enter the land. It's believed that the Israelites stayed near and around Kadesh, which is the location that is in the southern Negev of the promised land, right on its border, all the way down to the Red Sea in the south, a range of around 85 miles. They probably did some moving just to have some fresh pasture lands for their herds. Otherwise, the Israelites really had no place to go. They didn't have to be anywhere for another 38 years. The time they spent in the wilderness totaled to be 40 years. However, they were already in the wilderness for one to one and a half years. So they didn't have 40 more years to go, only 38 more years. Really? It was until everyone over the age of 20 that needed to pass before they could enter into the promised land. Just for a moment, let's look at what it would have been like to be in the Israelite camp, waiting for people to die. Here's the numbers. Now, it depends on how many Israelites you believe came out of Egypt. If the traditionally held thought, there were probably 1.2 million people needing to pass away. This number includes the women. Believing that it would happen in 38 and a half years because the Israelites were already in the desert for about 18 months, that would be 14,052 days. That would mean that on average, just about 85 deaths a day needed to happen. In a 16 hour day, that would average out to be a little over five funerals in an hour. If it's believed that the number of the Israelites that came out of Egypt was a lot less than that, 30,000 people instead, that would still mean in the 14,052 days that two people would die every day on average. Not as many, but still, it was a daily reminder, either on a large scale or smaller one, of the Israelites' disobedience. And because of that disobedience, a whole generation would die and be buried in the wilderness instead of on their own land. During the time of wandering the wilderness, the Israelites really had only one event written down, and yes, it was another rebellion. The leader of the group that would rebel is three men. The first man is Korah, who was a descendant of Kohath, the son of Levi. The other two men were the descendants of Reuben. Their names were Dathan and Abram. These three men believed much of the same that Aaron and Miriam did when they tried to pull for authority in camp. Korah, Dathan, and Abram rose up against Moses along with 250 other men that were leaders in the community. The reason behind the rebellion was that these three men Believed Moses had gone too far in leading the people and taking on authority. They believed that because the Lord was with them and all of Israel had been set aside as holy, then Aaron and Moses didn't need to set themselves up as a center of authority. In reality, Korah was most likely trying to take the position of Aaron, of the high priest. Korah, being a descendant of Koath, he already had a role in carrying a portion of the tabernacle, specifically the Ark of the Covenant and all of the sacred items in the tabernacle. The two men of the tribe of Reuben could have been wanting to gain authority because in a tribal society, the oldest born and their descendants would be the leaders of the tribes. However, because Jacob passed on the blessing from the tribe of Reuben, They wouldn't ever be in a position of leadership of the Israelites. These two men were brothers. They weren't trying to take the priesthood over. They were complaining of not being in the land, flowing with milk and honey. And Moses had not brought them into that land. These two brothers called the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. In Numbers 16, verse 13, It says that the brothers complain of having been brought out of the land flowing with milk and honey by Moses only to die in the wilderness. In verse 14 they go on to say that Moses didn't do what he originally said he would by bringing them into the promised land that was flowing with milk and honey. Because of this these two men were looking to take over Moses' position of leadership and Korah was looking to take over Aaron's position of high priest. They weren't alone in their rebellion. They had gotten at least 250 leaders in their community to join them. Ultimately, the three men were not happy with how they were being led and felt that both Aaron and Moses self-promoted themselves to authority rather than God choosing them. Instead of putting out the rebellion, like so many leaders do throughout history by simply killing the rebels, Moses put a test together, a test to see who the Lord had chosen for the leadership position. Because Korah wanted the position of high priest, Moses told him and all of his followers to come the next morning with censers. Censers were made for offering incense with coals over an incense altar. Often, they were in pans or shallow bowls with long handles so that they could be filled with coals to burn the incense that was placed inside of them. This type of censer was believed to have originated in Egypt. When Korah and all of his followers came the next morning, they would perform the burning of the incense, a job that was only meant for the priest to do. The test was that if the Lord really chose Korah and all of his followers, then offering incense would show that they were to be the priest, instead of Aaron and his descendants. So the next morning would come. Korah and his followers, most of them, if not all of them, were close family members that were part of the Levite tribe. They would stand before the tabernacle, in opposition of Moses and Aaron. It was a showdown between the two groups. One group had Moses, Aaron, and most likely his sons. The other group was Korah and his 250 followers. This is when the Lord would show up before both groups in his glory. Now it was only time to see who the Lord would choose. Moses and Aaron, or the rebels, and their following. It was during this time that the Lord spoke directly to Moses. The Lord told Moses to move everyone away from the tents of the three men. You see, the three men probably had tents all right next to each other. Though they were two separate tribes, the Kohathites and the Reubenites camped side by side. Most likely, The tents of these two families, Korah and the two brothers, were right next to each other. And this is where the plans to rebel against Moses and Aaron came from. So Moses got up to go to their tents and told everyone to move away from the three men's tents and their possessions. Something key to notice in Numbers 16 verse 25 is that when Moses went to warn everyone around the rebels' tent, and living space to back up, elders of Israel went with him. This means that it wasn't all of Israel in rebellion, only the three men and their followers. To set the scene, Aaron is in the tabernacle, facing Korah and his followers with incense censers in their hand. Moses is among the people, telling everyone to get away from the living quarters of these three men. With the Israeli elders following him. The two brothers and their families are all standing in the entrance of their tent, seeing all of the surrounding families move away from them. Then Moses would call out to everyone that was around This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me, and that it was not my idea. If these men will die a natural death, then the Lord has not sent me. However, if the Lord brings about a new way of judgment by causing the earth to open up and swallow them with everything that belongs to them, then you will know that these men have come against the Lord. Well, the words had hardly gotten out of Moses' mouth when suddenly the ground split apart. The earth opened up. And all the three men's families, possessions, and those that associated with them all fell into this hole in the ground. Once the earth finished swallowing these men and their families, the ground moved back over where they were buried, as if nothing was ever there. The other Israelites that were nearby ran in fear that the ground would swallow them up too. But it was only those that were associated with these three rebellious men. Korah was not there when this happened. Him and 250 other men were in the tabernacle offering incense to the Lord to see who the Lord had chosen. In that moment that the ground opened up and swallowed the rebels and their families, Korah met his own fate. Remember when the Lord showed up in his glory when Korah and his group were in opposition to Moses and Aaron? Well, from the glory of the Lord would come a fire that killed Korah and all the men that were with him, all 250 of them. So within a short amount of time, all of the rebels, their families, and those that planned to rebel with them were either killed or buried alive in the ground along with their possessions. You would think that after all this happening, it would be clear to the people that the Lord had chosen Moses to lead the people and Aaron to be the high priest with his descendants. But the Israelites didn't. They came up to Moses and Aaron the next day and complained, saying that they have killed the Lord's people. Instead of three men and their associates coming up against Moses and Aaron, it was now the whole assembly of Israel. The rebellion lived on. What happened next is that the Lord told Moses and Aaron to get away from the rest of the people because God was going to remove them from their rebellion and start fresh with only Moses and Aaron. They would both fall face down before the Lord. When this happened a plague broke out among the people. This plague is believed by some scholars to be the same angel that appeared in Egypt to kill all the firstborn males. It came to destroy all but two men and their families, Moses and Aaron. It would use a plague to kill the people. What type of plague isn't known, but whatever it was, it was quick and efficient. When Moses realized what was happening, he told Aaron to go burn incense and hurry out to stand among the people to make atonement for them. So Aaron, with his hot pan of burning incense, ran into the middle of the group of people and stood between those who had died and those who were still alive, thus stopping the plague from coming any farther. It wasn't the pan full of incense that stopped the plague from continuing. It was the covering of the people from Aaron's atonement. The high priest was the only person that could make atonement for the people, meaning he was the only person that could stand before the Lord and ask for the forgiveness of the people's sins so that they would continue living with the Lord among them. He was acting as the mediator. Before Aaron could get there to stand in the gap, 14,700 people had already died from the plague. As a side note, going back to how many Israelites came out of Egypt, was it somewhere around 1 to 2 million, or was it closer to 30,000? The number only counts the Israelites, not those that went with them from Egypt who were not Jacob's descendants. When the Israelites left Egypt, other people left with them. This could make the number larger than 30,000. Therefore, when 14,700 people are killed in the plague, it isn't talking about just Israelites dying. It could very well be the other non-Israelis that died. After the death of the three rebels, how long after, it isn't sure. But the Lord wanted to show that he had chosen Aaron to be his high priest and all of his descendants after him. So the Lord told Moses to have each tribe of the Israelites to gather a staff from their leader. Then they were to put the name of the leader on their staff. For the tribe of Levi, it was going to be Aaron's name on that staff. The staff was often used as a symbol of the chieftain. Other cultures in the Near East, like Egypt and Babylon, designed their staff so that the chieftain had a specific design to theirs. That way, it could be recognized as being that chieftain's staff. Think of a staff almost like a modern day ID card. If someone knew a person, most likely they knew the staff that they used as well because it was designed for them. To show that the Lord had chosen Aaron and to put the grumbling down from the Israelites, the Lord had all of the tribes bring in one staff. Twelve staffs would be taken and be placed before the Lord. The reason that the staffs were placed before the Lord is because the Lord said that he would cause the person's staff that he had chosen to bud. Meaning that whatever the wood of the staff was made out of, it would be brought back to life and the staff, which is a dead piece of wood, would have sprouts coming out of it. The twelve staffs were placed into the tabernacle. The next morning, Moses entered the tent and saw that Aaron's staff did not just sprout some, but sprouted, let it blossom, and produced almonds. Aaron's staff had every stage of an almond branch on it, and that was just overnight. As a sign, the Lord told Moses to put the staff in the tabernacle, so that it would be a reminder of those who had been chosen by God to carry out the duties of priesthood. We're going to end it right there for now. But know that the Israelites were again not happy with their circumstances. And because of that, they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. These rebels believed that they could do a better job of leading the people than Moses and Aaron. This was all after the Israelites had left the idea of going into the Promised Land. Next time, we will begin to look at the journey of the Israelites back to the Promised Land. So join us in episode 57, The Death of the Priest and the Prophetess. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.